Lord, thank you for our church family. Thank you for those who are joining us uh, via stream who have never even stepped foot in this building. Um, Lord, I thank you the church isn't just a building, but that our church is alive and active throughout our community, even in these days of confusion, frustration, uh, chaos, and worry even. Lord, I ask that each and every one of us uh, would be a messenger of hope. Lord, I pray that even now, as I walk through a very familiar passage, that God, you'd settle me a little bit, a little weird just talking to a camera. Uh, but more important than that, I pray that your spirit would carry the truth of your word and apply it into the hearts of the people who are listening. So we love you. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his good name I pray. Amen. Hey, so good morning. Uh, welcome once again to U-Town Online. Um, you know us and our technological abilities and our incredible skill and savvy at communicating online. <laughs> um, it's been a test. It's been a trial. We're just kind of bumping through. Uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter, we'll, we'll be in 15, but I want you to start in chapter 14 if you want to grab your Bibles. Mark chapter 14. And as you're turning there, I just want to give you a real quick, I don't want to do announcements, but just to let you know, we know, we know Easter's next weekend and we are not going to be gathering together for Easter. However, uh, we are in process trying to come up with some very creative and different things to do for both Good Friday and Easter. And so we'd encourage you just to keep your eyes open on a few announcements that'll be coming up. Um, we're already working on the Easter service. I have a few things done already and it's, um, it's going to be cool. So I'm excited about that. Invite your friends, uh, invite your family to join you online and, and stream with us. And uh, who knows? We'll see what God does with it. So uh, by now, you should have found Mark chapter 14. And if you haven't, just you can listen <laughs> or just quietly turn your pages as we walk through this. Right. So uh, last week we talked about Mary and how Mary had anointed Jesus and how uh, we, we believe that is a result of her spending some of that extended time at the feet of Jesus, listening to what he was actually saying. But from that moment, right after the, the anointing of Jesus, from that moment, we are told that uh, Judas Iscariot, and actually uh, Mark chapter 14, verse 10 to 11, says he decided at that moment, that's it, I'm betraying Jesus. That's it. I'm turning him over to the people who want him arrested, and I can make some pretty good money doing this. And so he made a deal with the chief priests. And from then on, he was looking for an opportunity to betray him. The book of Mark is interesting to me in that as you go through the story of the Passion Week, the emphasis slowly shifts to, instead of Jesus, to the characters uh, of the story of the Passion. And, and so uh, I'm going to walk through some of this, and then I'm just going to point out some things about the, the actual characters that are found in the uh, in the story here. So, so look at this. First, first um, after G Judas has decided that he's going to betray Jesus, Jesus gets his disciples together, gets them prepared for Passover. They head up into the upper room and they observe the Lord's Supper together. And it says he, he took bread, he blessed it, and he broke it, he gave it to them. And he said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. And this cup is a picture of the my blood, which is shed for you. And, and then they, they sing a hymn and they leave. And as they're leaving, um, Peter and Jesus are having a conversation uh, after Jesus said, all of you are going to fall away. Peter says, what? No, not me. I'm Peter. And Jesus says, no, man, especially you. Before the rooster crows three times, um, 
before sorry before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And Peter's like, nah, oh, not me. I'll never do that. So that's just coming later, and you know it's coming later because it's Peter. Uh, they get to the garden, garden of Gethsemane. Jesus takes all the disciples, and then he takes the three disciples, Peter, James, and John, just a little further into the garden with him. And it says that he is deeply distressed, verse thirty-three. I'm deeply grieved, verse 34, to the point of death. You remain here. And the only command he gave to those three was, stay awake. Jesus goes further into the garden. and He falls to the ground and he prays to the Father, Lord, if there's any way this hour can pass. And he walks back to check in on Peter, James, and John, and he finds them sleeping. And it says specifically, verse 37, he said to Peter, so you get the picture of Jesus walks up and kind of shakes Peter a little bit. And he says, are you sleeping? Couldn't you even stay awake for an hour? Now, if you stay awake and pray so that, 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 that you won't enter into temptation, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so Jesus again goes into the garden. Peter and James and John are probably shaking their heads, shaking their heads until they finally doze again. Jesus returns, finds him sleeping again, wakes him up. He goes back into the garden, returns again. And the third time, he finds them still sleeping. But this time, after he wakes them, a crowd approaches. This crowd, this mob, as they're described, with swords and clubs being led by Judas into the Garden of Gethsemane. And Judas had tell, told the, the mob, I will identify the man you need to arrest by giving you a signal. And the signal is going to be this. You're going to, I'm going to walk up to him and I'm going, to, I'm going to greet him warmly. I'm going to give him a kiss. And so as they arrive at the garden, Judas leads the mob and he navigates through the disciples who had to be thinking something's up. Judas approaches Jesus and says, teacher. And then he gives him a kiss. And at that, verse 46, they arrested Jesus. Now Peter, being Peter, pulls out his sword and he starts flailing around trying to protect Jesus. And we find out he's not an expert swordsman by any stretch. And instead of really inflicting any damage, he simply cuts off the ear of one of the servants. Find out later his name is Malchus. Jesus says, Peter, put it away, man. This isn't what this is about. This is so that the scriptures could be fulfilled. It says at that moment, verse 50, all of the disciples deserted him and ran away. And then we get something weird. I love the Bible. Uh, If any of you know me, you know I love picking out some of the smaller things in the Bible and making them bigger than they actually are supposed to be, so I will own that. But but this is fascinating to me. Verse 51, so all the disciples have deserted Jesus, but here in Mark 14, 51, there is one other person. There, a certain young man wearing nothing but a linen cloth was following at a distance. We we don't know why he was there. We don't know what he was doing. We just know he was at at a distance watching what was happening, and he was close enough to Jesus that when... Um, the, the, the disciples fled and the mob was looking to arrest people. They, they tried to grab this young man thinking he was part of Jesus' disciples, Jesus' group. So they, they grab onto him and it says they, they, the, the, the young man left the linen cloth behind. He did one of those, those maneuvers as he tries to escape and he leaves his coat behind and he runs away naked. Uh, that's all it says. I mean, there's no other application. There's no other point. I mean, that, that's literally all it says, 51 and 52. What is the point of that? There's a, there's a couple of interesting things there. I believe that this young man who is unnamed is actually the author of this gospel, John Mark. It's just a fascinating thing to stand out. I find it interesting in the middle of this heat and tension. John Mark's like, 
All right, everybody's talking about it. I guess I'll own it. It was me. This certain young man happened to be there, and he happened to run away naked. I, I don't know why it's there. It's just kind of fascinating and humorous to me. So someday I'm going to write that book, Humor in the Bible. That verse is going to be in there for sure. <laughs> so, so after that, Jesus has been arrested. He's led to the Sanhedrin, to the high priest. And they're all looking. This is fascinating. Verse 55. They are looking for testimony against Jesus to put him to death. But they couldn't find any. They couldn't, they couldn't find anything that was death-worthy. They had many people giving false testimony, verse 56, but when they compared those false testimonies, they didn't agree. Which is true, oftentimes, when lies occur, they don't line up. And so the frustration is, is rising within the chief priest. The frustration is rising in the, the high priest. And finally, he stands before all the people, verse 60, and he says, don't you have an answer for it? All these men are saying, all these people who are lying about you, don't you have an answer? And Jesus didn't respond. He kept silent. That's a practical application for you. When people are lying about you and attacking your character and things that aren't true, sometimes the best response is no response. The high priest is infuriated and he says, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? Verse 61. And Jesus says, I am. The high priest tears his robes. We don't need any more witnesses. We have what we came for. And all of the chief priests in Sanhedrin condemn Jesus as deserving death. I would like to point out they had condemned Jesus as deserving death long before this moment. And some there began to spit on him. They blindfolded him and beat him. It says here they were saying prophesy. The idea is blindfolding them and smacking them and saying, no, who is that that hit you? And this wasn't just the chief priests. Even the servants of the temple took turns at taking shots at Jesus. Remember Peter? I'll never deny you. Not me. I'm Peter. Um, you can finish reading 66 through 77. You find out that Peter has denied Jesus three times. And the rooster has crowed the second time. As soon as it's morning, verse 15, verse 1, let's start reading. As soon as it was morning, Having held a meeting with the elders, scribes, and the whole Sanhedrin, the chief priests tied Jesus up. They led him away, and they handed him over to Pilate. So Pilate, the governor of Rome in the area, says this, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, You say so. And the chief priest accused him of many things. So Pilate questioned him again. Aren't you going to answer? Look how many things they're accusing you of. But Jesus still didn't answer. So Pilate was amazed. At the festival, Pilate used to release for the people a prisoner whom they requested. There was one named Barabbas who was in prison with rebels who had committed murder during the rebellion. The crowd, they came up and began to ask Pilate to do for them as was his custom. And Pilate answered them, okay, oh, you want me to release the king of the Jews for you? For he knew it was because of envy the chief priests had handed Jesus over. The chief priests stirred up the crowd so that he would release Barabbas to them instead. Pilate asked them again, then, then what do you want me to do with the one you call the king of the Jews? Again, they shouted, crucify him. 
Pilate's response in verse 14, why? What has he done wrong? They shouted all the more, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. And after having Jesus flogged, he handed him over to be crucified. We're going to get back to that in just a moment. But if you just continue looking at some of the characters that begin to pop up, the soldiers lead him away. They put him in a purple robe and a crown of thorns, and they, they mock him and, and fake worship. Hail, king of the Jews. They, they take the scepter that they'd handed him. They start hitting him with that. They spit on him. They lead him out to be crucified. In the street, um, as Jesus is being led to be crucified, just a, a historical note, the, the cross that he would have been carrying wouldn't have been the full T cross that we, you and I are familiar with. It would have been the cross beam that he, eventually his hands would be affixed to. So he would have been walking through the street after being beaten, after being flogged. He had been walking through the street carrying that cross beam through the crowded streets and was struggling to a certain degree. And in verse 21, we're told that the soldiers grabbed a man named Simon of Cyrene. We know nothing about this man. We just know this. He had sons right there, the father of Alexander and Rufus. He had sons named Alexander and Rufus. Now, some church historians believe that Rufus is the one that is mentioned in Romans 16, verse 13, where Paul is sending his greetings to Rufus and, and to Rufus's mom, who's, and Paul says, is my mom too. The, the idea is, and the, the thought behind the church history here is that, that um, Simon and his sons being present for this moment, something changed in them dramatically, and they too became followers of Jesus Christ. They bring Jesus with his cross piece to the place of the skull called Golgotha. Verse 24, it simply says this, then they crucified him. That's all it says. For such a significant moment, you would think it would be more descriptive, but Mark just says they just they crucified him. And he continues talking about characters and says they divided his clothes. They cast lots for them. They were gambling for his, his clothes that he obviously would never need again. He was crucified between two thieves. We know in other accounts that one of the thieves mocked and berated Jesus. And the other said, well, why would you do that? We're here justly. He's not. He's innocent. The people who passed by the crucifixion scene of Jesus on his cross with nails through his hands and through his feet, the people who crossed, passed in front of the cross, which was common, the Romans liked to crucify people in very public places so that people would take note and it would put down any other rebellions. The people were cross, passing by, verse 29, it says they were yelling insults at him. Oh, save yourself from the cross. Come on down. The scribes, chief priests, were mocking him, saying, you know, you save other people, but you can't save yourself. And even those who were crucified with him taunted him. We talked about that a moment ago. I'm going to stop there. It's fascinating to look at the characters who are mentioned throughout the story. I think it's a, it's a fascinating look from a very wide-angle lens, but, but what I want to do for the last couple of moments we have together is I want to zoom in. I want to zoom in on that passage we read together in John 15, particularly verses 6 through 15, and I want to zoom in on that one character that's mentioned there, not Pilate, but this man named Barabbas. 
to Barabbas through all of this insanity that's happening outside his walls is sitting in a cell guarded closely by Roman soldiers because this Barabbas is a high risk to the local affiliate there in the Roman Empire. He, he was a dangerous, dangerous man. And we don't know if he's in his cell, can hear the commotion happening outside. But I, I, don't, I don't know. If, if, if you're in Barabbas' situation, who cares what's happening outside? Are you even really going to take notice of it? He knows what's coming next for him. It's crucifixion. I mean, he's, he's seen it many times. He understands what it is. He understands it better than you and I do. The level of pain that accompanied crucifixion is notorious. I mean, crucifixion was designed to torture the condemned person, not just for a few hours, but up to three days. The nails between in the, in the hands, the nails in the feet would spread a man or a woman out in such a way they had trouble breathing. And so as they sloped down, they couldn't catch their breath. And so what they would have to do is press against the nail that was through their feet to, to stand up and expand their ribcage so they could get another breath. Most people crucified died of asphyxiation. They suffocated because they were no longer able to push themselves up because of the pain. They weren't able to grab that last breath. The pain of crucifixion is where we get our word for extreme agony, excruciating. It comes from two Latin words, ex and crucius, which means out of the cross or the pain one experiences when crucified. Barabbas, sitting in his cell, guarded by his Roman soldiers, waiting for his turn to come, knew exactly what crucifixion was. He was just waiting for that moment when the guard would walk in and make him stand up and begin marching him to his cross because Barabbas deserved it. He, he, he was a man who was a notorious criminal, Matthew tells us. He supported his gang through robbery. He created a rebellion that, that led to murder in one way or another. You see that in verse 7. He was a man who committed murder during that rebellion. I mean, Barabbas had broken the law. Barabbas deserved to die. He deserved to be executed. And when he was executed, not a single person, whether Roman or Jew, would question it. Because Barabbas deserves his cross. As the commotion outside of Barabbas' cell grew, it was because the chief priests and Pilate and Jesus were beginning to, to mingle. <laughs> the chief priests present Jesus to Pilate as a rebel, as one who is leading a rebellion against Rome. This is the, the king of the Jews, after all. This is the one who wants to usurp the authority that is the emperor's and only the emperor's. But it's fascinating to me that as they present their case, Pilate is on to them immediately. Verse 10, he knew it was because of envy the chief priests had handed Jesus over. He, he knew immediately it was because of envy. Why would the chief priests be envious of Jesus? I have a few suggestions. I don't know for sure, but, but it certainly could be because the every time Jesus taught, the crowds were astonished at his authority, at his wisdom, at his ability to teach, unlike any other teacher. 
if you're another teacher who has taught the same people and you hear them say that about Jesus, some envy is going to creep in. Maybe it's because the just the crowds surrounding Jesus continued to grow larger and larger and larger as he continued his ministry, and yet the chief priests couldn't get anybody to follow them. And cried aloud, Jesus sits on a donkey and comes into Jerusalem, and people are ripping their coats off and throwing them in the street and saying, Hosanna, this is the one we've been waiting for. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. This is him. Of course they're envious. Of course they're envious. So as Pilate examines Jesus, he moves past just the envy, and he sees that Jesus is in fact innocent of every charge they brought against him. And so knowing that, Pilate looks for a way to release Jesus. And so he has this annual festival pardon that he does. And so he offers to, to release a prisoner, thinking that he can make this political maneuver to get Jesus out and not have to deal with all the craziness that's happening. But the crowd, who has now been whipped up into a frenzy by the chief priests, is what verse 11 tells us, begins to chant for Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. We want Barabbas to be released. We want the one who is guilty of robbery, the one who is guilty of rebellion, the one who is guilty of murder. He's the one that we want out. You, you keep that Jesus in there. We, we want Barabbas. And so Pilate says, what, what should I do with Jesus then? And their response is to crucify him. Think about what they're asking Pilate to do to Jesus. And Pilate's response is, is one of disgust, I think, more than confusion. Verse 14. Why would I crucify him? What wrong has he done? Again, Pilate has identified the fact that, that Jesus is innocent. I mean, Pilate's identified the source of the problem as the envy of the chief priest. But he's found Jesus to be innocent. And not innocent on a technicality. He is innocent to, to the very foundation of who he is. And it's interesting, as you read through the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, every gospel account, you will see the same thing. You will see um, Pilate in the gospel of Matthew identifying that the chief priests were envious. And then he asks the question, what has he done wrong? And then finally he just says, I have to wash my hands of this entire mess because this guy is innocent. I'm not putting him to death. He's on you, not on me. Get to the, the gospel of Luke, he says there are no grounds to charge him. And he sends him off to Herod who agrees with him. And then Pilate says, listen, Herod and I, we never agree. And yet both of us agree there are no grounds to charge Jesus. He's, he's done nothing wrong that deserves death. And then he, he wants to release Jesus, but he can't. The Gospel of John, there are no grounds to charge Jesus. He repeats himself in chapter 19, verse 11. There are no grounds. And in 19.12, it says he continues to try to release Jesus. What, what, what has happened is Pilate has identified clearly what we know to be true. There's no guilt in Jesus that's deserving of death. None. Unlike Barabbas. I mean, the charges against Barabbas are significant. The notorious prisoner is guilty of robbery, of rebellion, of murder. I mean, those are significant charges that demand a significant punishment. Murder, I mean, is certainly deserving of death. Barabbas is guilty of rebellion and murder, so he is deserving death. And so you have these two very different people standing before the crowd. 
and the crowd is pleased to make the exchange. And as a result, Barabbas is released to life, released as if he's innocent. Jesus is delivered to death by crucifixion, condemned like he's a sinner. I mean, on a human level, it doesn't matter who you are. This appears to be one of the greatest miscarriages of judgment and justice ever. And on a human level, it is. But truth be told, this picture of Jesus and Barabbas goes far deeper than just our initial view. This is a preview of the grace that is about to be unleashed at the cross. As Jesus is delivered to death and as Barabbas is released to new life, we have the very first substitution of the cross. And in Barabbas, we're given a picture of our own release. See, just like Barabbas, you and I are clearly guilty. All have sinned, Romans 3.23 says. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Not, not many, not some, but all. And the cost of that sin, the condemnation for that sin, the sentence for that sin, Romans 6.23 tells us, is death, much like Barabbas. So in Barabbas, we get a glimpse of our guilt that's deserving of death and a preview of the grace that Jesus gives us as he embraces his cross. And through that grace, you and I can be set free. So when we, when we identify with Barabbas, when we, when we look at that picture of Barabbas and apply it to ourselves, we recognize that we're the rebels who have broken God's law. We're the ones who are guilty as charged. We're the ones who are deserving death for our sin against the creator. Jesus, the innocent one, the, the spotless lamb of God, through the grace of giving himself for us at the cross, takes our place. And you and I are released to life. And you, I'm the one that's so clearly guilty and deserving of condemnation. I've been set free because of the willing substitution of Jesus in my place. And that's the gospel. And I, I, I beg you to believe it. This love of Jesus, which is deeper, wider, higher, and longer than anyone could ever tell takes away your sin. If you admit that you are a guilty sinner, and if you confess that Jesus Christ paid your debt for that sin, and any who receive that free gift are not only freed from the death sentence of sin, they also receive the right to become the children of God. We are adopted like one of his own. See, Barabbas 
is a powerful picture for all who put their faith in Jesus and in his cross, instead of putting their faith in themselves and in their innocence. Now, we don't know. We don't know what happened to Barabbas. But what we do know is that Jesus, because of Jesus, he was set free.